My brothers and sisters, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, the text in which I just read for us here a few minutes ago. I'm, I am positive that like your family, my family, or your family is similar to my family in that you have shorthand things. Uh, you do different things or you say something in a, in a quick way and the members of your family all know what's going on and they have developed this kind of thing. Kelly and I sit next to each other right before I come up to worship. Uh, come up to preach and we have a certain um, uh, shorthand things. I go like this and she knows I need a drink of water. I go like this and she knows I need to blow my nose, that kind of thing. So uh, uh, I'm not now, but uh, I'm just shaking in general. Uh, but the uh, idea is that we have a bunch of shorthand and as long as we're in the family setting, that makes great sense. My guess is that you have experiences that you've taken on trips or whatever and you just say a certain phrase and everybody in the family smiles because they kind of know what's going on. We are looking at the essentials, the essential for today. We believe Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. On the third day he rose bodily from the dead ascended into heaven and now reigns as our Lord and High Priest. We believe Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. If you're part of the Christian community, and if you have been for some time, you'd know that language. That language shouldn't surprise you. It would be difficult for you to be part of any Christian community for any period of time without hearing that language, without hearing that word. And the thought generally is that similar like a family, that we can use that kind of shorthand, we can use a shorthand phrase like Christ died for the sin of the world, and all of us kind of know sort of what we are talking about. We are exploring the essentials here over this series because we're afraid that that is not the case any longer. We are afraid that the language that we use is not shared. We, we are saying the same thing, but we mean something very different from that. And so one of our great desires here at, at Hebron over the next couple of weeks together is to continue to reiterate these essentials, saying things that, again, my guess is that all of you are going to be very familiar with, but nevertheless repeating them and stating them so that it's not just the simple words that you're hearing, but the essence of what we're trying to get across, the guts of what we're saying. Because, for instance, our first essential that we looked at a couple weeks ago was the importance of the Scripture. Now, my guess is that most Christians that you run into are going to acknowledge the importance of Scripture, but when we talk about Scripture here at Hebron, 
we are holding to an orthodox, uh, the, the, the understanding that the church has held for all the time, that the scripture has the divine authority behind it. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the essential of scripture. When we're talking about the essential of the character of the triune God, we're not simply saying that God, this mystical force, exists. We're trying to say, look, this is the God that we are worshiping and adoring, the one that the scriptures proclaim to us in all of his fullness, in all of his otherness. In the same way, today, when we look at the third essential here, and we're talking about the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins, again, that language is something that most people would resonate with, uh, would recognize, but as you talk with people, you will find that they have very vastly different understandings of what it means when you say those words, Christ died for the sin of the world. We mean something very specific here, something that links us back to the history of the, the revelation of the Lord through the scriptures. We have something very concrete that we want to share with you today when we talk about the fact that Christ died for our sin. Not only that, though, we've got another reason for going through the essentials, uh, and it's tied to the idea that those script, these essentials, these truths that we gain from the scriptures are a gift from God. Um, these are, th th what we're seeking to do is articulate the way in which the scriptures speak to us. And the scripture is God's gift to us. It's God's word for us. And in trying to say the, 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 what the scripture is saying here, we're trying to reiterate and remind you of this wonderful, marvelous gift that the God has given to us. Let's just say, for example, that I, out of a great expression of love, and because I love you so very much, I want to give you $500. Now, the reality is that I don't love any of you that much. But let's assume that I did, and I, I really love you so much so that I, I want to give you, for no other reason than just the fact that I'm in love with you, I want to give you a $500 gift. So I give you $500, and you take them, and then... Um, couple of hours later I just find the money strewn along the side of the road or sitting on the corner or kind of tossed aside or something like that and I go up to you and I say hey wait a minute do you remember that $500 that I gave you and you sit there and say uh yeah I remember that was a couple of days ago that's not I'm giving you the gift so that you would receive it so that you would make it your own so that you would hold on to it so that you would value it if we understand the essentials as a summary of what the scripture has given to us, that gift that God has given to us in the scriptures, then he gives it with the expectation that we would hold on to it, that we value, not that we say, hey, do you remember that idea that Jesus died for, the for, for our sins on the cross? And you kind of go, yeah, I kind of know that. No, these essentials, the, the essence of the scripture is God's gift to us that we might hold on to it and that we might value it. But more than that, if I give you $500 and you hold on to it and two years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I, I find it just sitting on the shelf collecting dust, I'll say, wait, no, that's not the reason I gave you $500. I gave you $500 as a gift so that it might improve your life, so that it might better what you have, so that you might use it for your joy and for your blessing. And so the, the essentials, the gifts of truth that God has given to us, we're sharing them with one another so that we can not only know that they are true, 
but so that those truths will change and impact our lives. When we say that the scripture is the word of God, and that's an essential for us, the idea is not simply so that you simply know it, but so that it begins that transformative work in your life. When we talk about the Christ coming to die on the cross, the expectation is not just that you will cognitively know that, but that it will transform your life. When we talk about Christ coming again in glory, the point is not so that you know that that's happening in the future, but so that your life is being changed and modeled right now because of it. So when we say today in our essential that we believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, it's not simply that I want you to know that that is true. I do. I want you to know that that is true. The scriptures articulate that in a beautiful, wonderful way. But I want that articulated truth to be transformative in your life. So let's look at that articulated truth. And a great way to do that is in the text in which we looked at earlier. So again, if you have your Bibles open in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look specifically here just at verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 is a wonderful articulation of Peter's understanding of Christ. Who is Christ in all of his glory? And we're going to focus just here upon verse 24 because it speaks directly to this substitutionary sacrifice. Now, this is a creedal statement. And by creedal statement, uh, again, I kind of mean the shorthand that we share with one another. Christ died on the cross for the sin of the world. That's shorthand. That's a creedal statement. Picture it this way. If somebody asks you, hey, what do you do for work? And you describe what you do for work. My guess is that almost all of us will use some kind of shorthand to describe what we're doing for work. We don't tell every statement. We don't lay everything out that we do. We don't give a blow-by-blow account of every aspect. We can't. We're talking to somebody who doesn't have a knowledge of what we do, isn't aware of it. So if you're a sales representative or researcher or uh, cashier somewhere or uh, homemaker or whatever you do, we, we find a shorthand way of trying to say it that encompasses everything. People ask me what I do. I get, I get to talk about Jesus. Now, I get to do a whole lot more, I have to do a whole lot more, than just talk about Jesus. But that's a good summary of my job. If you want to know kind of what I do, I get to talk to people about Jesus. Um, you have a shorthand way of summarizing your job. That's good. This is a shorthand way of summarizing the work of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He himself, now it's very clear from the context and that's why we read the over the larger verses. I hope that you can go back and make that context that the he that we're talking about is not God in general. It's not any specific, it is the specific individual of Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ. But the text, Peter emphasizes this himself aspect. If you look at the sentence structure, even in English, it's not necessary. We could say, he bore our sins on, in his body on the tree. But instead, Peter says, he himself bore our sins on the tree, emphasizing that self. I don't know all of what Peter's motives were for stressing it this way, but for us today, it is a godsend. He himself, Peter is saying, Jesus Christ 
and he's emphasizing, he's pointing at the person, Jesus Christ. He himself, this guy that I'm talking about right now, this guy bore our sins on a tree. Now the reason why that's so important is that, and I am sure that you've had these conversations with people, when they speak about Jesus Christ or the dying on the sin or something like that, the removal of sin for believers, they talk so mystically, so spiritually, so ideally about Jesus Christ that they're not even talking about Jesus Christ. They say, oh, well, you know, there's this power in this world and, you know, the power of love or the power of forgiveness or the power of... And they, they make it so disconnected from history, from reality. And if there is something essential, something core about the faith that we proclaim right here at Hebron Church that the elders desperately desire for you to grab a hold of, that is that what we are doing here is anchored in the historic Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. When Peter says he himself bore our sin on the cross, he's pointing to an individual and he wants us to realize that this is not just the comfortable, mystical feelings of spirituality that we likely to have. No, this is the Jesus Christ that I'm talking about. Je this individual, he himself, bore our sins. Uh, first, I want to make sure that you caught the pronoun there. Bore our sins. Sometimes it's easy to depersonalize the work of Jesus Christ or to magnify it in such a way that we lose sight of the individual. Christ died for the sin of the world. So true. The scriptures proclaim that. But the scriptures proclaim that Christ died for the sin of the world, all of them, by specifying and identifying that Christ died for the sin of me, that Christ died for your sin, that Christ died for our sin collectively. Consequently, when Peter here says Jesus himself bore our sin on the tree, if you proclaim that as a creedal statement, if you state that, if you agree with that, you are identifying yourself as one of those people who sin, whose life is marked by sin, marred by sin, and then who consequently Christ died for. This is a, an essential aspect for our faith that we proclaim here at Hebron Church for the scriptures as a whole and for the faith of the church universal that Christ died not just for the generic badness that's out there in this world, but he died for my specific badness and for your specific badness. Christ bore our sins. Um, the bearing our sins is, uh, the idea there is lifting a weight. Christ lifted the weight off of you. Uh, he, he bore our sin when he carried that upon himself. He, he took that weight away from you. I was on a construction project helping out um, back in my campus ministry days, and we had to carry this massive log. And so myself and another guy, I don't know, even know how we did it, but eventually we got the log up on our shoulders and we were carrying the log and I was overwhelmed with the weight of it and I called out for some help and a couple guys came and one guy in front of me, one guy behind me and they shouldered the weight and they were both about three inches taller than me. 
And so it was great because, you know, here I am suddenly overwhelmed with this weight. And then suddenly they were bearing not just a lot of it. They were carrying all of it. I just kind of faked it then, walked the rest of the way like I was with those guys. But they were carrying the whole weight. They bore the weight that was overwhelming me, that threatened to drag me down. They carried the whole thing by putting it under their shoulders. And here we have this idea that Christ bore our sin. He carried our sin. But there's also... um, there's sacrificial language going on here. There's, there's negative language. There's bloody language going on here. The, w- the word choice that is used is not, uh, you know, if I see you carrying a chocolate cake and I come up to you and say, hey, let me bear that for you. You know, so let me take that chocolate cake for you. Uh, the chances are it's, that, that's not the right word. The bearing here has got complete understanding the the overtone of it is a sacrifice the cost the penalty the payment uh the weight of the values so here christ bore our sins in his body on the tree on the tree is just shorthand it's a euphemism obviously we've got the cross here the wooden cross and it's a euphemism for um for the tree here the tree is is just talking about the cross but he bore our sin in his body. Once again, this is, this is Peter trying to say, look, it is this thing, that it is this person, it is this event that took place in his life. Now the reason why I appreciate that Peter stresses it like this is that it is so easy to disconnect this experience from Jesus' experience. It's so easy to separate and to say, well, you know, God in his great love forgives our sin. That's true. But God in his great love forgives our sin by putting it on Jesus. And not just this theoretical, mystical kind of idea of Jesus, but this person of Jesus who bore the sin in his body on the tree so that so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness die to sin death has no power something that is dead is impotent it cannot affect you it cannot hurt you it cannot influence you it's dead Because of Christ's death upon the cross, bearing our sin, the effect of that, so that, the the impact of his death is what? Well, we're freed from sin, we're going to heaven, we're able to worship the Lord in his presence, we feel his comfort and grace. All of that is true. But what Peter is focusing in on is that so that sin would have no power over you. That sin has no power over you. But rather, what has power over you? What is alive in you? His righteousness. Now, if you're like me, you occasionally get dragged into a sin that you know you don't like, that you know you don't want, 
you know you need to get rid of. You can't help but look at that thing on the internet occasionally. You can't help but raise your voice to your kids. You can't help but think snide thoughts about your parents. You can't help but, you don't want to, but it just festers in your mind. And here, Peter is saying Christ died for our sins. Why? So that that thing that has so much control over your life that just ekes out into the different ways in which you live your life would be Christ's righteousness. Not your sin, but Christ's righteousness that leaks out. And then in that wonderful creedal statement again, he summarizes it. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now there's, you, you cannot miss the substitutionary step of this. That because of what happened to him, you experience something different today. Because of his death, you are made alive and made free. Theologically, this is called the doctrine of the atonement. Um, we try not to use too many theological terms just to use a theological term, but this one is worth it occasionally. Um, this is called the doctrine of the atonement. And the atonement is simply a word that means at one with God. How are we made at one with God? And so the serious question is, I mean, I like this, this idea, Christ died for my sin, Christ died, but let's face it, that was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, this guy died on a cross. Okay, I wasn't even a twinkle in my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's eye at that point in the game. How is it? that what Christ did 2,000 years ago makes an impact in your life today. Now, it's clear that it is. We're stating it is an essential. We're emphasizing the fact that Christ died 2,000 years ago for your sin. But seriously, how is that possible? The doctrine of the atonement is the doctrine whereby the church tries to explain that very question. How is it that what Christ did 2,000 years ago makes me at one with God today. Throughout the ages, the church has come up with, most people, if you categorize them, they'll come up with seven different distinct ideas on how to answer that question. How did what Christ did 2,000 years ago change my life today? Most people will come up with about seven different ideas. I think you can summarize them, you can pull them together, there's enough similarity that I think you can come up with three main ideas. How is it that what Christ did on the cross, bearing my sin, changed my life today? 2,000 years ago he died without, you know, never meeting me. I never knew the guy. Okay? The doctrine of atonement. Three ideas. The first one is this. That Christ died to defeat the power of Satan. Now, if you have sought to live your life faithfully before the Lord, you know what it's like to feel that bondage to sin. You know what it's like not to be able to control your temper. You know what it's like not to be able to control your gossip. You know what it's like to give a little bit of feed, just to feed that beast just a little bit. Scripturally, this is described very clearly as being bonded, in bondage to Satan. And the imagery here is because of the brokenness in my life, 
I have traded my allegiance. I am no longer connected to Jesus as much as I want to be. Instead, I am connected to Satan, who holds power and sway over my life. Thanks be to God that through his decision, he sacrificed his son, said to Satan, basically a deal with Satan, I will give you Jesus if you will give me Henry. And for some unknown reason, God in heaven said, yes, that's a trade I'm willing to make. Now, of course, we know from Scripture that that's got great support. Scripture talks about Jesus as a ransom for my sin. It talks about the freedom that we get through the work of Jesus Christ. It talks about the fact that by the Christ's death, he broke the power of death, that death no longer has a hold on my life. It is absolutely true that because of Christ's death on the cross, I have been freed from the power of Satan. You have been freed from the power of Satan. But when I look at the extent of my life, I have to confess that the problems in my life are not because Satan tempts me, not overwhelmingly because Satan makes me do things I don't want to do. The massive problem that I deal with every day is right here. The problems that I see in your life, that I interact with you in your life, can't be written off as Satan's tempting you or Satan doing bad things in your life because it, it arises from a brokenness inside. And so the church then I, develops the idea that what happened on the cross is that we are overcome by the love of God. That the cross of Christ modeled God's love for us and points us in a way, gives us an example in which we are supposed to follow. Now, if you have never been moved, overwhelmed by the death of Jesus Christ, I am sorry. Uh, and I regret that personally because as your pastor, I desperately want you to have experienced the overwhelming power, the overwhelming emotion of the experience of God's love realizing that somebody else died so you wouldn't have to. I remember real clearly it was soon after I became a believer sitting in a pew and it was during communion and being overwhelmed with the remembrance of oh my gosh somebody died that I wouldn't have to and I was crushed emotionally I was influenced and I came out of that experience saying man everything in my life I want to give to you Jesus because of what you have done for me my guess is that many of you have had those kind of experiences that you have been overwhelmed by the goodness and the blessings of the love of Jesus and again we know scripturally that this is true in this very text we are told that Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example to follow. Greater has no love than no man than this, than that he die for his friends. We are set up to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But again, when I look at my own life, when I look at the lives of the people I interact with every day, their struggle with sin is not because they don't have a good example. We've seen the example of Jesus. 
it's not simply because they don't know enough about God's love. They need to be seeing God's love in a different way. The core of our problem is deeper. It's inside. And so the church has developed what I think is a more comprehensive and understandable picture of the atonement. What is it that because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago, I am set free? And this is the, the idea that Christ died as a substitutionary sacrifice for my sin. Christ died as a substitute for your sin. In other words, all of that residual sin, all of that effect that happens inside, all of that thing that grabs a hold of you, that, that when you're sinning and you know in your brain that that's not what you want to do, when you know that it's damaging for you, when you can tell that it's, there's a sense in, within your body that says, this is not for me, all of that has been taken from me and placed upon Jesus Christ. The guilt the culpability, the punishment, the justice that should be mine is transferred to Jesus so that what is his might be transferred to me. When we say that Christ died for our sin, we are not talking theoretically, we're not talking in an abstract sense we are speaking incredibly concretely about my sin, the frustration that I feel when I'm driving behind some people, the words that I use when I know better than that, the frustration that I feel with my children, with my parents, the hurt that I feel over and over again, the sin in my life, the punishment that is just for me is laid upon Jesus Christ so that the gift of Jesus Christ, the fullness of Jesus Christ might be given to me. Now there are branches of the church that do not like talking like this. It sounds barbaric. It sounds gross. It sounds childish that because I lose my temper once in a while, God kills his son Jesus. That's because sin is barbaric. Sin is barbaric. People's interest in saying, well, God is love, and therefore, no, they're missing the point. God is love. That's why he loves you as he does. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, I beg you, spend time reflecting anew, not just in your mind, but say, how is my life different today because Jesus Christ died for my sin? If you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter how long you've been sitting in these seats, if you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I beg you to go before him. Say, Lord, today I want to know the freedom of you taking upon yourself the guilt of my sin 
and making me free and new. Please come and talk to me. Talk to Jerry. Talk to Brendan. We want to share of this great gift that the Lord has given to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how grateful we are that you have not left us without a witness, a testimony of that great, passionate love that is ours in Jesus Christ. That we are not left on our own and the brokenness that is our own, but rather, Lord, that you have paved the way for us to be free of our sin, to be free of the captivity that we do feel to sin and to Satan, to experience anew the freedom of the love of Jesus Christ that is reflected in his death upon the cross, but especially, Lord, to be transformed every day, to have that core part of who we are changed by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, in whose name we pray, amen.